0: Dinopod
1: and welcome to the Dinopod. Again, that was not enthusiastic. Yeah. Not
0: enthusiastic? Not en-
1: oh man. That was like the lowest energy I've seen the day. <laughs> welcome to the Dinopod. That was good. That was, that was perfect. good? We'll so, take that.
0: we Okay. 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 All right. We'll take it. So today we have a somewhat technical episode uh, as we're going to discuss standalone ECUs. Uh, so we've all gathered here around Paul. Uh, so that Paul can answer all of our questions, uh, which are really your questions that I'm sure that you've had for a long time uh, We've been working on a lot more standalone cars in the past six months than probably through the first, you know, 18 months or two years of our existence uh, and most importantly out of that uh, Dirtfish, we're working with Dirtfish more as their official tuning sponsor uh, a tuning affiliate, I don't know how to say that. Partner. Partner. Uh, and we've been doing a lot of MoTeC tuning for them. Um, So first I want to talk, uh, maybe ask Paul, what is your favorite standalone that's on the market right now? (laughs) That's a hard
1: question because there are so many variables to it. But if you're going to say, hey, Paul, overall, what's your favorite standalone, barring a cost discussion or anything, it's it's going to be the MoTeC M1s. Uh, that whole family i i really like them why yeah what, what makes those stand above the rest so when it comes to the m1 family the feature set in their uh, what they call gpr uh, general purpose race package is super good even their gpa has a lot of cool features which is General Purpose Automotive and the ability for someone to custom develop a package on top of that and let's say make STI 2015 up specific package is awesome or they have uh, MoTeC themselves have made packages for the BRZs that are direct injector dual injection Uh, and the capabilities are just great You can customize basically anything. You can do custom math. You can build any type of table you want. It handles sequentials really well in terms of flat shifting and using strain gauge shifters. Uh, It's not just a VE-based computer, so it's not all about just volumetric efficiency, but if you have the right sensor package in there, you can bring uh, EMAP, exhaust manifold pressure into the equation as well, and really get your VE dialed in and make the car work Well, everywhere, anytime, all the time, whether you're here or you're doing Pike's Peak or you're on a rally, you can do so much with it. On the other hand, they're extremely expensive and the firmware packages are expensive and they take a lot of setup time and a lot of tuning time to get them to
2: that level where they are that good. Does the M1 series uh, support high current drivers to uh, to run electronic waste gates? And so the, the M1 works super good with
1: their PDMs. So if you were going to run like a PDM 32 you'd have plenty of half bridges uh, high current switchable outputs to do that with. Uh, the M1 itself would be limited in some of that for high current stuff, but pairing it with the PDM is great. And the fact that they're all MoTeC and on the same CAN bus and communication system, you can pass messages back and forth and it's super easy to control that stuff through the PDM that, and utilize those half bridges rather than tying up everything that's on the MoTeC. Now there's some big M1s, like M182, that have a lot more inputs and outputs than say, like we deal with most is the
3: M150. That's in the BRZs. I got a question. But before I ask it, I'm gonna point out that we're actually doing a podcast with a microphone on top of an IAG short block. How many other people have ever done that before? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a coffee table right now, we have a, we have a short block. Well, it's
2: so, a stage three extreme short block. We should bring that up
3: too, that it's a stage three extreme mm-hmm. short block. And yeah, not, not, not just any short yeah, block. Yeah, it's just, yeah. right. <laughs> totally. That probably has definitely never happened before in a podcast. Yeah. So, do you think that the one of the were you the difference in price on a standalone? Do you think that it, it's really that the lower price standalones just become more work for the tuner, and a and a higher price standalone becomes a little less work? No, I wouldn't say there's a
1: correlation between price and effort for the tuner. Uh, you can have an inexpensive standalone that you can work quickly through. You can also have extremely inexpensive standalones like an AEM EMS4 that you're gonna spend an astronomical amount of time on. Because they're so inexpensive, less work is done for the calibrator. There's less features built into it and you have to do more custom work yourself. So there's almost like a a U-shape in that curve where you've got the really cheap ones that you can get an AEM EMS4 for $400. And you're going to spend thousands setting it up because you have to program in each cam and crank trigger and build filters. You move through this valley where ECUs tend to, you know, they're in the $1,000 to $2,000 range and they all have similar features and maybe some are better suited to some makes than others or they already have the triggers defined. And then you get to the high end where you've got the Motex, the Life Racing, the Cyvex, and more uh, high end than that where things are defined but there are so many more features that you spend more time on them Johnny.
2: so you mentioned a couple other brands there life racing and cybex but what i've noticed uh recently is that motec has seemed to be extremely popular yeah um, amongst like across the board not just motorsports mm-hmm. but just in modified vehicles in general do you think there's a reason for that i think the
1: ability for a developer to build a custom firmware package opened it up a lot. And they've even gone so far, like, they have plug-in plays for a personal watercraft. You can get a plug-in play for your jet ski. Like, you can get uh, companies out there that are building uh, adapter harnesses to run your Razer Turbo on a MoTeC. Like, it's, it's that well-suited for doing anything that you can. So, yeah, it's really popular in that aspect. If you go look at, like, a life racing computer... They're awesome, but they're so specific. You're almost working at like an OEM
0: level when you're building that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, with you, you know, liking Motec so much, why is a HowTech in your race car?
3: Oh.
0: <laughs> Good question. It was, it was fine. A, a price point thing.
1: Um, it's could I get all the features that I wanted in a system that? I could afford and provided a high enough level of support and quality. Um, It was a matter of, okay, this ECU has the triggers that I want, this ECU has a CAN bus on it, this ECU can accept all of the inputs that I'm feeding it, and on my car I'm feeding it uh, intake map. I've got, you know, the generic stuff. You've got intake air temperature. You've got your crank and cam triggers, injector inputs. All that stuff is all there. But then I went further, and I've got oil pressure, temperature, fuel pressure, fuel temperature, ethanol content, turbo speed, wastegate position. Uh, What else? Exhaust manifold back pressure. Um, There's a lot of other things that are plumbed in there Mm -hmm. to collect data. Yeah. And use that data to make the calibration better and better and better. You don't necessarily have to have all those things, but there's kind of a point where you're at a certain level. You need to start collecting more and better data to support what you're trying to do because we're taking some of the assumptions out of it. Yeah. So the Haltech does that. I was easily able to add on additional inputs into the computer when I ran out by using their CAN bus box and... I was able to integrate it with the battery kill that I have and do a lot of other features like that. So it's it's that middle of the road. It's not a MoTec. Mm-hmm. But it's also not an old AEM series two. You know, yeah. there is a middle there. And those are the kind of things that people need to be considering when they're shopping for standalones. It's not just what's everybody else running or not. You know what's the most popular thing right now or what's the cheapest that's, mm-hmm. that really has to
3: fit with what you're doing what are your thoughts on like certain platforms being better off with one standalone versus another so it's a good
1: question because you've got uh, for example drift and their pro spec stuff is requiring a link standalone and link only has so many defined trigger patterns and and they'll add more, but let's say you're doing something really weird. EG thirty three that's got two crank sensors, you know, it's not gonna be the quickest thing, whereas well, Haltech's already defined that and it's built in. So some standalones are gonna be easier for somebody to work with and quicker because maybe they've got a base map or they've already defined the triggers, or because they offer a plug and play, which are things too. So it's again it's matching what you need to what's actually offered out there. Like if I wanted an ECU master for my car, that they've never defined the EJ-20 trigger pattern. Right. Just not defined. And maybe they'll do it someday if enough people ask,
3: but it's development, so you know, it has to be worth it. What do you think about in some applications where you end up piggybacking rather than just doing a standalone? We ran into that a few times, um, oddball stuff. Uh, one that
1: actually Taylor wired up a while back was a MegaSquirt 3 Pro, which is we used MegaSquirt a lot on Miatas, and it was a turbo Miata, but it was an automatic. So, yeah, it was a parallel installation. We gave the MegaSquirt control of all of the engine functions, features, the variable runner control, the turbo, everything, and then we left the automatic running just on the factory computer. So, more effort wiring wise
3: but you know it worked out fine in the end and sometimes you have to do that because it probably would have been hard for us you know an actual true standalone to be able to control any of the transmission control features
1: yeah it's, it, it's nobody's done it in a standalone but we had a guy that we've been talking to for a while he's got a 997.1 uh, 911 turbo and it's a tiptronic so it's just before the pdks came out and he has it currently tuned on an access port, and it runs E85 only, and he really wants flex fuel. We talked to the Cobb last year, they have no plans to do flex fuel for the 997.1, so it's just not an option. And standalone-wise, there's, there's one company out there that's doing it. And they have a standalone that'll plug in, that'll control the Tiptronic and the engine, can do flex fuel, can do everything he wants, and then it comes down to the cost of it, and the computer itself six grand. And he's got a $3,500 budget. So it's just, it's not real at that point because you say, well, it's six grand for the computer and then installing it should be quick, it's plug and play. And then calibrating it to everything that you've got is just gonna take time and that time on the dyno is money. Right. We spend more time in the service bay than we do on the dyno though. The power tuning is not hard. It's getting everything else right. It's getting it to cold start, hot start, Restart, getting it to idle and drive smoothly, all the other stuff is more difficult. Sometimes just getting it to start. Sometimes <laughs> just getting it to start consistently, yeah, is a pain. It's like the diesel car we have, it's got a standalone in it. So it's an old, I won't say old, that's weird. Older, I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s Subaru Outback that's got literally a turbo diesel swap in it. We've had it for a while and it's got a belgian french standalone in it from a company called skynem and the person that put the conversion together locked the computer and you know it took like a year because of covid but we finally got the computer unlocked and can actually make some tuning changes and then there's every tuner's favorite thing is you're learning a new standalone
3: that's even a little more difficult when it's a like half French, but also it's not only that, so it's diesel, it's, it's it's French and it's a diesel. Yeah, so I, like
1: I had to learn what, uh, and I'm gonna butcher it, but you know, alimentation tension. You know what that means? System voltage. Mm. I had no idea what that meant, but you know, here we are nonetheless. And yeah, it runs a little better now, but, <laughs> but cool, you got to learn something. I learned a little bit of French so that I knew what the hell that was, I right? no clue.
0: So one thing that I've seen a lot around the shop with standalones is various types of installation. So plug and play is most common because you can, you know, it is what it is. It's easy. It's easy. Um, but I've also seen you know custom wired standalones and the drawbacks that come up with people installing their own standalones. that don't necessarily document things the way that a that a shop would. Um, mainly having wiring diagrams and that type of thing. Especially when they start adding stuff. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any advice for people that are looking to install standalones? Don't write it down on a napkin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or sticky note, or, well, I followed somebody else's diagram. Um, You know, we'll we'll earn you a a trip out of the shop. The plug-and-plays are fantastic if your factory harness is gonna keep up with what you're trying to do. my standalone is a plug and play and my factory harness carries barely any of it anymore and I have a secondary harness that runs through a Deutsch barrel connector on the firewall and that's all my other additional stuff's plugged into that. So really at the end of the day, my factory harness is almost a waste and I would have been better off just building a new harness for it. But that's mission creep. I started out with a plug-and-play standalone. And I've crept into, well, I should have just done a wire in, and it would have been better off for troubleshooting and diagnostics. And it would have been a simplified harness. It would weigh less. I could have another cheeseburger. You know, it, it would work better in those ways. The ones that come in, we just had one the other day. A double Miata. or single cheeseburger? Always a double. Okay. It's always bacon, <laughs> cheese, nothing else. So we had a Viana come in the other day, and... You know, it's classic, comes in, needs a tune. And the first thing, the tailor and I look at each other and realize the thing sounds like a lawnmower because it's running on two cylinders. So you start to troubleshoot. Okay, drop number one, yep, drop, drop number two injector, yep, it died. Drop three, nothing. Drop four, nothing. Okay, so it's running on two cylinders, and two injectors aren't firing. And the first thing you do is say, hey, who wired this? Well, the customer did. Okay, that's fine. Some people can do that, and they do a good job. It's called a half-batch fire. Yeah, right. It's, yeah, it's not working. <laughs> Next, hey, do you got a diagram? Oh, I just followed what was on this guy's website. Okay. Here's the Excel. And that's, if you got a document in Excel, that's cool. So, you know, just a quick continuity check. And it's like, cool, they've got power. That's good. That makes sense. It's still mostly factory up there on that side. You go back to the computer and it's not Plug and play, and it's kind of wired in. There's some heat shrink missing in places, and you know, numbers three and four, like Tony said, it was, you know, it was a batch. Neither three nor four had continuity back to injector A or injector B. But for us to get involved in that is just, it opens up potential for a nightmare, and that's really hard. So having things, if if it had been better documented, what had been done and what had been cut. And Whatnot, we could probably participate, but yeah. when we start opening it up, we can turn it into a big build really fast. And it, it saves the, the owner money
2: if oh, everything's yeah. all documented, too. Absolutely. Okay. So we had the Bug Eye in here last week or a couple of weeks ago or whatever with the Altec. Yeah. And, it, and I thought that that one was pretty cool because it was a plug and play, but it also had uh, the ability to add, I think it was like. Two digital inputs mm-hmm. and multiple outputs for, like specifically, we we're using it for E85, so that it was, you know, the ease and use of a plug-and-play yeah. with, you know, simply wanting to add some additional sensors that you already had wired in, and and having access to five volts right there on that same harness yeah. is pretty nice. Yeah, that's it's
1: a, the same standalone I have in mind. It's the Haltech Platinum Pro, and it's a little older. But they, they kept up with the software updates on them. And, yeah, they have an auxiliary connector. It's really nice. It ex, you know, you're know you accepting, yeah, it's a plug-and-play. I'm going to be limited. I'm not going to be able to change some of those factory inputs and outputs. Even though I'm no longer using them and I could use them for other stuff, yeah. they lock it out because it's supposed to be plug-and-play. So they give you yeah, the aux. And then when you run out of that, you do what I did, and you get the CAN bus I.O. box. Yeah. And, you know, I've got another 24 pins right there that I can work with on that. If you run out on that one, you can have another CAN bus box. Cool. Like, you can keep going with those to a point and there's a bunch of other CAN bus stuff. And that's the, the better computers do that. You have CAN bus. That really opens up the world. I think even MS3 Pro's running right. CAN mm-hmm. capabilities now. Yeah. You can define... Well, most do. ECM yeah. Masters has got their own CAN bus. AEM has got AEM Net. You've got, you know, Haltech's got theirs. MoTeC will talk to anything. Link, you can do custom can on as well.
2: So it's, it's super useful. At what point do you think uh, customers should start considering uh, the idea of needing a standalone system for their build?
3: Yeah,
1: so I'm pretty opinionated on this one. Um, a lot of the cars, we do have a cob access port, and it's great, and it goes to a point. And that point is the same for a lot of cars that are working with either open source or some other method of editing the factory computer like all of our HP tuner stuff. Cobb and HP tuners and you know like Tefra for the Evos go a little step further and they're building in their own custom code again onto the factory computer and there's a bunch of those Nismo Tronic, etc. They, they can take the stock computer a little further but once you're actually pushing it hard and you're trying to collect data as well then that's the point where you need to to get into a real system because if you're gonna push you know six seven eight hundred horsepower consistently you need to be capturing data and you need to have safeties and controls oh coolant pressure that's another one I have on mine you know coolant pressure for example am I lifting ahead I don't know I don't know unless I have coolant pressure but if I have coolant pressure I can see that it's starting to happen, and then, oh, cool pressure spike, I can trim the ignition a little bit. Or exhaust back pressure went really high did something happen downstream. Uh, my wastegate started blowing open under load because I could see it with my wastegate pressure sensor or position sensor. So you have all these capabilities that you can then add that give you better data to make it safer and more reliable. That's, that's the point there's some big builds coming up that I consider right at the limit of what I want to do with COPS custom features mm-hmm. on the access port because beyond what we're doing I want to start collecting more data to make it better safer more reliable I trust the computer it works faster it collects data It has safeties built into it all the kind of stuff that you'll never get out of a factory computer
3: in most cases because it was built for that purpose right yeah compared to like a factory ECU where that's not really what it was built for. Correct.
0: Have you like had a, a car that come into the shop with uh, a standalone that maybe you've never worked before, worked with before, and you've like downloaded the software and started playing with the computer, and like it surprised you with how effective it was or intuitive the software was to use compared to some of the others that maybe you were more familiar with? Uh, it was it was a couple years
1: back now. Uh, it was when the EC Master Black first came out. Um, I'm not crazy with the unit. They're pretty good. Um, but the software was surprisingly usable. I would say that one ranks pretty high up there. Uh, in terms of crappy software, I've got to give it up to AEM. I can't stand <laughs> their stuff. Um, whether it's the old software or Infinity Tuner, it's just not the quickest and greatest to use. It's Holly's fault, though. Yeah, right. There's other people to blame. Um, actually, it's funny you mentioned that, Holly. The uh, in terms of the muscle car stuff, the the fast systems are just I don't know, designed for Neanderthal button smashers. They're just not. super user-friendly pieces of software I feel like I'd be better suited running it on Windows 95 speaking of Windows 95 we had an old MoTeC that you know I had to run an emulator on my computer to actually hook up to it so like you know sometimes we get old
0: MoTeC E44 or excuse me M44 series is there a standalone that's out there that like a customer says, I have this in my car, and you immediately see that and go, no, it needs to be updated or changed uh, before we'll, we'll, we'll touch it or tune it. Okay, so we've shot ourselves in the
1: foot with this a couple times. Uh, the AEM EMS 4, it's just so old at this point, and I know they keep it around because they, they claim, you know, oh, it's so customizable, and it is. You can probably make it run a one-cylinder steam engine if you put a trigger on it. It would run your steam valve, but it's not
3: ready for modern systems. But worse than having to learn French to figure out how to program? Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather learn
1: French. I did. I, I would rather use the Skydam than, than an EMS-4. They, they've got their place. I get that. It's just not something that I like playing with anymore. People buy them because they're cheap, and then they throw it in your lap and say, "Make it work." And you know, you're no longer the tuner at that point. You're being an electrical engineer because you're staring at the lab scope, and then you have to build little filter boards and you know, caps and resistors and pulling circuits down. And it's not that it's necessarily hard; it's just tedious, time <coughs> consuming, and it costs money. People don't like to pay money when they already thought they got the
3: solution. Uh-huh. Um. So on the service advisor side, so Paul, Paul, Paul gets a car that you know, we need to calibrate, and we don't always 100% know what we're getting ourselves into until it actually shows up. And then now all of a sudden, you got to have that conversation with the customer that, hey, it looks like you've got a great deal on your standalone, but it's going to cost you know $2,000 dollars to dial this thing in. Yeah. How, how do you feel that that's usually perceived? Um,
0: I feel like with people with standalone, they usually have a, an understanding of what it takes—that's going to cost—that it's going cost. to cost them. And the way that we approach things is whenever somebody brings it in, we have this is a starting point of where it's going to start for us to, to look at it and start the calibration, and then from there, it's based on how long it takes Paul to calibrate the car. And you know, our biggest thing, especially up front, is we want to be as fair to the customer as we are to ourselves. Right. Like it has to be a symbiotic relationship where we are both you know, you know, existing. And we want you to keep bringing your car here. Uh, that means being fair to you, but we also have to be here for you to bring your car here, which means we have to charge appropriately for our
3: time and effort. Absolutely.
2: Not only that, but like, I would say over half the cars that come in with standards need work that aren't even yeah calibrating. I, I think
0: really a lot of the cars that come in for tunes of any variety need work. Um, And I think that's something that, you know, as we've been doing more and more advanced pre-tune inspections, we're identifying things that maybe we missed in the past when we were doing just quicker inspections before the car goes on the dyno. I think we're being more thorough and uh, responsible about protecting our customers' investments in their vehicles before tuning it. You know, there are some times where, you know, it sucks to say, but we care more about your car than you do. Um, almost, because we're making sure that nothing bad happens to it when it goes through probably the most strenuous thing that it's ever going to do, which is be on the dyno. So, no one wants to clean up that oil mess out of the dyno babe. Yeah, no one does. And it can be a big mess. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it is. Yep. It's, it's one of those things where we're just trying to do what's right for everybody involved, and sometimes... Uh, that doesn't line up with people's budgets, and that's unfortunate. And yeah. It sucks. It sucks to turn people away because we can't help them do what they need to do within their their monetary restrictions. Yeah, but on the same time, do you want a full calibration, or do you want a economic calibration? Yep. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and we only work one way. It's it's just the right way, and if we can't, then we won't. Yeah, and maybe that's different than some people's expectations and sometimes. Mm-hmm
2: true story. Well, look at the last two cars that came in that had customer provided standalones. Yeah. One of them well, actually had a customer provided engine that had the incorrect triggers yeah. installed and the other one was a someone started wiring it and couldn't finish it and it was your favorite standalone ever as well. Yeah. It makes sense, right?
1: Somebody jumped in this guy's car, thought they were going to wear it all up and make it perfect, and basically spent the guy's money and accomplished
3: nothing because it all had to be scrapped and redone anyway. Wiring is one of those things in cars specifically that people just don't really understand. You know how detail oriented you really have to be to do that right. You know, I mean, we've all through the years we've all seen bizarre shit on cars and it's always, almost always, to do with the wiring. I mean, who here hasn't seen, like, you know, home electronics, you know, <laughs> home electrical, you know, wire nuts, wiring shit together and. Yeah, mask tape. Oh, God man. God, man.
0: It's not, it's not like wiring in speakers. No, it's not, you know,
2: red and black. It's sound like like a (laughs) light switch wired up to something laying on the passenger side floor of a car one time, and I was afraid to touch it. (laughs) it's like, Man, is this hooked up to an airbag?
3: I mean, you 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 pop the hood on some cars, and you just see spaghetti mess, and you're just like, Wow, yes. And that's,
1: you know, that's the challenging part when people bring that spaghetti mess, and they're like, Hey my car just needs a two and, and it's like you have to gently kindly say no thank you that we can't participate with that because mm-hmm.
3: it's just not at the the standards that we have to have to be yes. successful it's because it takes a lot of money to turn dog shit into ice cream it really does <laughs> <laughs> the, the cost
0: of the repair is greater than the, the cost of the vehicle you gotta
1: Way that, mm-hmm. and
0: that happens I mean, all the time. Really
1: again. Yeah, that happens all the time. And that was, you know, it was like, I, I can't participate in this. I can't put us in this path where we're gonna string ourselves out and just keep chasing gremlin after gremlin. It's no, here's what's wrong. You need to address this. Here's the standards that you need to do. Let us know when you're ready. Mm-hmm. Like, we could easily do it but us doing it involves redoing it. Mm-hmm. Well, if they had that kind of budget, you would have done it from day one. Right, and that's, yeah. yeah. You already probably got the answer that you didn't want to hear at the price you couldn't afford. I mm-hmm. believe someone has said before, mm-hmm. and you know, then the next step is that you
0: are asking for help and we just can't, we can't, yeah. otherwise we won't exist. Yep. Yeah. All right, I think that's a good spot to wrap up. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the DinoPod. The
3: DinoPod!